Welcome back to the Recovering Hoops Addict podcast. I am your host, Trevin Jimboy. Uh, today, again, as always, we, ha- we have a very special guest, but someone who I know and feel is a great person, very humble, uh, energetic, passionate, um, the head coach for USAO Women's Basketball, uh, Coach Derek Matthews. Uh, Derek, first and foremost, thank you for, for coming on. Um, I know I probably sound a little more formal than I normally do, but that, that'll go away after the introduction. <laughs> um, again, I, I just kind of want to start off with, with how I met Derek through, through high school. Uh, Derek went to McAllister, home of the Buffaloes, and uh, they, they were our scrimmage buddies. So there were plenty of times where uh, I, I always, any interaction I have about Derek, um, I always talk about, you know, how he gave us buckets, how he probably averaged 40, 50, 60 on us during those scrimmages. Um, and, and somebody who I've respected, I mean, you know, since probably 2005, 2004, um, for, for a very long time. And I'm grateful our lives have crossed over the last couple of decades. Um, and there's a couple of times I'll, I'll share on where they, they could have crossed even more. Um, but, to kind of take it back old school, uh, kind of going and looking at your high school career to kind of start off the podcast and we'll progress from there. Um, when, when do you feel like you arrived, whether that's freshman, sophomore, junior season, you know, when you actually started getting to play, like what game do you feel like you arrived Okay, you know, I don't know if it was a specific game that I can think about. Uh, the only thing I can think about is when I started playing, uh, my I played a little bit my freshman year. Um, and then there was a, we had a change of coach, went from uh, Quinn Wooldridge to um, Patrick Dotson, uh, both great people. Um, but I learned so much my freshman year. I thought that as soon as I hit that sophomore year is when I kind of started seeing things a lot slower. Uh, you know, as you're young, everything is so fast and you and you really don't you think you understand and know a lot, but you really don't. So as time just kind of goes past, I I think the experience I learned my freshman year really kind of prepared me my sophomore year. And my sophomore year is when I really started t- to kind of go off a little bit as far as just really understanding the game and the speed of the game. And then by my sophomore year, I think I just um I think that's when, well, my junior year, excuse me, my junior year is when I really thought that like, okay, I understand the game and I could see things before a lot of other people could. And I could have these intellectual conversations with a coach as far as like what I saw on the floor. And it kind of let me be me a little bit more. So I would probably say my junior year is kind of when things really started clicking for me. All right. Yeah. I, uh, probably much like you, my freshman year, uh, because you're the first basketball guests we've had um any story that i share will be new um obviously we're, we're not here to talk about me but uh yeah i, I think on you uh, think about your story a lot too just saying like yeah freshman year um everything was just so fast-paced i didn't really have time to learn and you know two three years down the road much like i'm sure you're you'll share about college as the game starts slowing down, you get an understanding and a, and a grass and, and obviously a little bit older. I don't know if I necessarily got wiser in those, you know, next three years, so to say, um, I might've been just as wild. Um, <laughs> one of the questions I do want to ask, 
if you can remember this, you know, do you remember the first person that just gave you buckets in high school? As far as practice or actual game? Uh, either. Uh, you got, whenever I was a freshman, you know, I, I was going against in practice, you know, there was, you know, we were well familiar, familiar with, uh, uh, Jeremy Case, uh, but during my time, I was it was Clayton Rice and Justin Harris, you know these just fast, athletic individuals that you're just like, uh oh, <laughs> I can't play with them. Um, but when all of them started leaving, that's when um, I guess it, things just was like, okay, well, I'm still going to be with my group of people that I that I typically know or been around uh, because let's be honest, it's intimidating when you look at upperclassmen. You go from being a freshman to a sophomore, and then you're still playing with these juniors and these seniors that's like already, you know, grown into their bodies so much more than, you know, us little puny individuals. I mean, because we're still so we're just still babies. But um, as far as buckets, man, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, off the top of my head, I cannot think of anyone in particular that that uh, just kind of gave us buckets. But I'm sure as we continue on, someone will probably come to mind. But um, I don't know. I you know that that's kind of on the bad side of things too, where my brain just tries to find a way to kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. eliminate it. <laughs> Good old defensive mechanisms start popping in, um, <laughs> you know, and that you know part of of me wanting to start the recovery or the the basketball side of the recovering hoops attic podcast is is honestly because there's so many good stories that we have. And we both know as we get older and life goes on and everything, we start forgetting or the game starts changing. And uh, some of the thoughts that I have in my head, I mean, I think most because we didn't have the same videos that capabilities that that people have now. Um, so a lot of that stuff does get forgotten. But it, it is interesting. Some of the moments, if I look back in life, if, if they're still if they're really 100 percent accurate or if it's just the way that my brain has just changed the story or, you know, made it made it better for me. But um, if, if you could go back and uh, during your, your high school career, uh, is there a game you wish you could revisit and just play over and over and over? And, and if so, tell us about that game. Uh, I mean, the only thing I can think about is when I was a junior, we made it to the we made it to the uh, tournament and we were playing the first round. And I can't remember who it was against. I, maybe uh, I, I keep wanting to say TSST during that time. It may have been them. It was a Tulsa school. I, it just wasn't my best game. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously, as you go forth, you know, people start looking at film a little bit more and they key on uh, key players. But we had so many great pieces during that time with uh, Grant Selmer and um, and so many just other just pieces as far as the point guard. We had a great post that was down low. We had a lot of great uh, wings. And I just think back on if we just had just a little bit more experience at that level, I think we... I think we were equipped to win it all. I just don't think that our minds were ready for what we experienced during that time. Just the thought process of someone stops you, but you have to start thinking of, okay, you're plan B. Um, and I remember that game just because I just, it, 
at that point, it's the it's not necessarily the coach anymore as far as, hey, guys, we got to do this, this, and this. It's about the players digging back on everything that we were taught getting to that point and being able to put it all together with very minimal help from the coach. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's only so many timeouts so that, time you have. that you have. So by kind of – I just wish I could go back to that game to just, just individually play better and maybe even be a better leader to try to get more out of people to have, you know, I thought that was our chance to probably win it all. Uh, the senior year was, you know, getting to that point we're already considered, I guess they called us overachievers, um, which were which was fine with us. But um, I think back on that game. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I just kind of want to share because it's going to kind of hop into this next question in just a second. But, uh, you know, I, I go back to the, the game that I wish I could revisit was is really just a half I wish I could revisit. And that was my freshman year, I was in trouble so much. Um, I mean, I think I was eligible a quarter of the season maybe. Um, and it was just, it was just bad. You know, I was unable to contribute. Um, one of the major stories I'll, I'll share at a, a later time, but my sophomore year, you know, I was suspended the whole first half of the year. Um, and I come back was probably a, a fractured at a minimum hand. Um, so by the third, fourth game that I finally start getting to play, I was, playing the second and fourth quarter and we were rotating with another sophomore and uh the, the fourth game I just uh we we were down 32 to Atoka at halftime um I'll never forget because they ran a 131 and we had no answer for it and the only time I've, I've ever heard coach husband not share anything at halftime not yell at us just walks in shakes his head, turns around, goes to his office. I've, I've never, and I'm sure he's probably never done it since. Um, and he comes back into the locker room and all he says was, Hey, you're starting the second half. And, and obviously I don't care that we're down 32 at this point, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm a sophomore. I, I have zero experience at this point. Um, and I had a great second half. Uh, we ended up winning, you know, that was a great year. Um, I just kind of wanted to share like, uh, for people that, that play like we replay those moments over and over and it, it means so much to me, but it was more of a team effort. And I'll never forget. We ran a one, three, one back to them. Um, and they didn't know how to run against a one, three, one. And I'll never forget thinking like, don't, this is what you run. Like, how do you not know how to go against a one, three, one? Um, and, and that's a one, three, one's my favorite. Yeah. I, I told you we run that with our, our son, um, obviously, it's almost like a cheat code at this age if you have athletic uh, kids that can jump catch because people don't know how to run against a one three one. But, anyways, um, is there a moment? Because I, I do have a, a an answer on my end for this one as well. Uh, a moment you wish you could go back and change, and I, I think you kind of hit on that a bit about the experience. Um, but is is there any moment during your career you you wish you could go back and change? Um, <clears throat> you know, to go back to what you had said a second ago about that one, three, one, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times, you know, teams that press a lot, when you go back and press them, they typically don't know what to do during that time. And the reason is you don't really practice it as far as your main ones are the ones that's going to be doing, um, or that's going to be, um, I guess, defensively practicing the press. And then you're practicing it on your, let's say your next bottom five 
who maybe don't play that much. So when they actually get pressed, they're just not used to it, especially when the sense of urgency has changed. But when I go back and I think of a moment that I wish I would have, I don't know, you know, when you, when you think about it and you say, do I go back and change anything? I go back and I, to myself, I'm like, well, if I change this, what would I be where I'm at now? So I don't know if I would go back and change anything, but if I could go back to just make, uh, maybe not even change anything, but if I had to change something, what I would have done, I think, is I would go back and I wish I could just redo the recruiting process. And I say that because, I mean, I love my time at Oklahoma Christian. I'm, I, I mean, I, there were some great coaches there, and I'm happy with how I got there. I just wish I knew more about the recruiting process during that time. And I say that because, you know, maybe I'm not at Oklahoma Christian, but maybe I'm somewhere else where maybe I better fit uh, immediately or someone were, you know, because a lot of people don't really think about, you know, you go from high school to college but there's a lot that you have to do when you're in college, right? Like those coaches, you got to understand, you know, in high school, you know, yeah, they got to win, but they don't have to win. If, if they lose a couple of games, it's like, ah, it's okay because your next talent is coming up. Whereas in college, it, it's not looked at like that. It's they're expected to win all the time. So, you know, there's not a lot of time for players to get in and, and really be able to develop and that's probably why I left Oakland Christian after my first year. And and that was one thing that the coaches said is, you know, they, they wanted to send me somewhere else just to v- develop a little bit more before they, and they wanted to kind of get me back. Um, but I just wish if I had changed something, I guess I just wished I would have waited a little longer before committing my junior year, just kind of see what else would have kind of come my way. Um, and once again, if that happens though, I may not be where I'm at right now because it's really important to understand wherever you are, wherever you get things started, it's typically where most things start happening for you. So you go to college in New Mexico, you start making New Mexico friends and you start doing things in New Mexico and wherever else that you could potentially be. So I I love my time at Oakland Christian and I love playing for coaches I played with. But if I had to go back, I'd probably just change my recruiting process. Just because I wasn't familiar with it, I didn't. My my mom didn't know much about it. I, there was no one to really talk to, or you know, kind of really get me through the steps. And my coach, which was uh, Coach Dotson during that time, obviously tried to help me the most that he could. But at the same time, it, it's still really, really tough. You talked about recruiting, and obviously, in the last you know fifteen years, that process has has changed tremendously uh with with not even probably so much the what you can't do it's just more of what you can do it, it seems like there's more and more you can do i mean there are obviously still a lot of can't but what can you for, for the for people that didn't go play in college um can you kind of just share even what that recruiting process looked because you said you i mean that was a huge thing to be able to commit somewhere as a junior um then um, and I, I completely understand you, you hop on the first offer that's out there. And, and I don't know if that was the case for you, if it was your first offer, but when, when you were approached, you go, Oh, that's where I'm going because these are the ones reaching out. And, you know, you may only have two or three because again, social media, the, the videos, you know, you, we were trading tapes and you, you didn't have DVDs. You didn't have anything else to, 
to to share recruit recruitments with or even game film. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if, if you'd ever went with your coach. I remember driving, you know, you drive an hour and a half to swap a couple of game tapes or coach would be mad. Somebody went and trading films with them. So, um, but, but could you share a little bit about like the recruiting process, maybe even then or what it looked like for you, but then also what it looks like uh, versus now? Yeah. So then it was really different because uh, like I said, I didn't know much about it, but I'll just talk about my experience from it. So um, a lot of times just us being humans, we try to jump on the first opportunity that we have, which is good and bad. Uh, good because yes, it is an opportunity. Uh, bad because it may not be the right opportunity. So, um, you know, for my re- recruiting process, it was basically like this. So I went to the Oklahoma Christian cage camps, you know, used to be huge camps that were going on. And um, so many people would go to those things. And we went as a team. So like our whole team was was required or highly encouraged, however you want to say it, highly encouraged to attend. So we attended those camps. And that's where I've kind of gotten um, noticed by Dan Hayes and the, and the coaching staff and uh, Curtis Jance and Terrell Hankins were all part of the Oklahoma Christian staff. And I had did really well. I went to the camp the year before. Uh, and then that next year, which would have been my, would have been going into my junior year is when they started talking to me a lot more as far as trying to get me to uh, attend the university, try to see how interested I was in going to that university. And, um, the last day of that camp, I remember I was in their office and they had, um, it was me and it was the three coaches. And I remember as we were sitting down and they're trying to tell me about the school and they were making me an offer during that time. They had, they had pretty much just said, Hey, listen, we'd love for you to come here. We would like to offer you a full ride to attend this university. Um, but, um, just understand that, you know, if you think too long on this process, that the, opportunity may long, no longer be here. Now you have to understand up to that point, I've gotten letters from different schools, but I haven't had like a, a, just like a complete offer at hand. So it was a lot to think about, but they wanted to know an answer before I left the camp, which I was supposed to leave that next day. So now I'm just really kind of, I don't want to say sweating bullets during that time. I was extremely anxious, but I want to kind of call my mom and talk to her about it. But like I said, she didn't know a lot about the recruiting process. And then most people during that time, all they know is, well, you know, it's not going to help you get to the NBA and, and this and that. You know, everything is about the NBA, you know, regardless of how much we know about it now. But, you know, obviously it's hard to do. But um, I remember talking to my uh, high school coach, uh, Coach Dotson, and he thought it would be a great idea. Even Coach uh, Woldruff thought it would be a pretty good idea, too. Um, and it was almost it was a little it was a lot of pressure to be honest. Cause it was just me and it was with those three coaches. And I remember the one thing that they did that kind of said, okay, maybe I should really consider this. I remember um, them saying, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to take this offer or you could take, you know, a month, two, three, four to think about it. But here's what you have to also be aware of. And I remember him grabbing this big old green book and he sets it on a desk and, uh, and he's like, look at this name. And he shows me this name. He said, this is, blah, 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 blah. And they attend this school uh, and they're interested in coming in. Okay. Look at this page. And they're going through all these pages of all these different recruits that were interested in attending Oklahoma Christian. 
So then, so that does one or two things. Number one, it's like, okay, well, at least I have an offer and they don't. Or it's like, oh, shoot, maybe I need to hurry up and commit because why me compared to everyone else that's in this book? So um, I I don't want to say I was pressured to make a decision, but it was definitely a way to kind of pressure someone into making a decision. And I made the decision. I live with it. And like I said, I enjoyed my time there. I loved it. It was it was great. Um, But, you know, that's how my recruiting process was. That's why I said I wish I could go back to just I wish I would have waited just a little bit longer. You know, although I was verbally committed, I couldn't sign into my first year of my um, high school, my or to my senior year, my first uh, day of my senior year is when I could actually physically sign to be uh, committed to that school. And once you're signed, that's it. So any other schools that come around and that's interested, you know, you really can't go there depending on what level that you're going to. Um, as far as recruiting now, you know, things are a tad bit different now, but you got to understand too, between the videos that we can watch, we can see them in person. I'm getting billions of emails each and every day. I mean, I think that's something that people don't really realize, you know, by reaching out to the school that you're interested in, right? You're from, let's say you're from Southeast Oklahoma. If if you're interested in going to Southeastern or if you're interested in going to a school in Edmond, reach out to those schools. You know, it's, it, most people want me to, hey, did you recruit this person? Well, it's hard to recruit someone I don't know. And what I mean by that is as long as I know a name, I can find out more about this person if they fit with what I'm looking for. So when people do send emails out or a lot of times my recruits come, my recruits come from just word of mouth of just people that knows me and knows my style and say, hey, you should take a look at this girl. I take a look at her. I really like her. And now she's on my radar and I'm trying to recruit her. But um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to get your name out there. I truly believe that any and everyone can go play college ball. And this is this is the truth. It doesn't matter what sport it is. And if you're like, well, how can that be? Well, you got to understand that there's different tiers, right? You have your top tier. Let's go like your division one. And then you have your little of the bottom tier. You have your in between as well. But depending on kind of what you want to do and how you want to do it, it's able to be done. And what I mean by that is if you're top tier, okay, great. You're going to go to division one, but there's only so many division one spots. Um, with Division Two, NAI, Juco Ball, all these schools, not all these schools, but a lot of the schools are, are enrollment driven. And basically what that means is they need athletes or a certain amount of athletes on their roster. Uh, some schools have quotas and some schools do not have quotas. Some schools have JV programs, junior varsity, and then some some schools do not. I do not have a junior varsity program here. So, and I also don't want a whole bunch on my roster. I typically carry about 14 to 15. Now, at the last school I was at in Bethany, Oklahoma, um, Southwestern Christian University, we had to carry, we had to carry a total of um, 30 um, athletes. Now, I split that. Obviously, you had about 15 that was on varsity and the other 15 was on my junior varsity. Now, my junior varsity, most people are like, no, I'm not going to go play JV. Well, at the right school, it really is a developmental tool where if you play your cards right and do what you're supposed to do, I'll take you from that junior varsity and then put you on varsity. So um, that's why I say a lot of people can go play college ball if they would like to. It's just you really have to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, is this what's best for me? And a lot of times people, I don't want to say people, but your ego kind of plays a part. And it. it's like, no, I'm too good to play there. I would rather just go to OU to go to school. 
And that's completely fine too, because guess what? You could still go to OU and still play in a little rec league that they have. So it just depends on what's best for people and what they're willing to do because playing, being an athlete in college, it's hard, hard work and it doesn't stop. That's why I always tell people, although there may be a lot of people in your ear where you want to go, you have to understand at the end of the day, they can't do the work for you. They can't go to practice for you. They can't put in all the work that you have to put in. So wherever you go, please do it for you and nobody else. Oh, no, that's that's great. Um, we're we're going to kind of dive into your college career here in just a second quickly. I know you, you touched on it. Um, I'd just like to say a moment that I wish I could go back and change would have been uh, between my freshman and sophomore year when the McAllister Buffalo stole Coach Chris Zyke away from us and <laughs> brought him home. So uh, uh, for those that don't know, um, which probably almost every person listening, um, that our our old assistant coach who truly meant the world to me had done who you have to understand people that know me now they know me in my position uh they know uh the ones that know me from recovery they see that side they don't get to see the the trevin that was in his addiction at a, a early age and that was wild that was uh the Allen Iverson, the Dennis Rodman of a team that who was just all out on the basketball court, but he was all out off the court as well. Um, and uh, Zyke was somebody that, um, you know, I hold in the highest tier, especially in my heart, just for what he's done for me, the patience. Um, somebody that was a great mentor, was a great coach to me. Um, again, we're, we're talking 20 years down the road. Um, I see him and I overwhelm, I, you know, I'd seen him, I think at a Thunder game last year. Um, I run up and I, I leave my son behind in the middle of the Thunder game. Uh, Rachel, when you hear this, sorry about that, but um, run up and, you know, I'm, I'm just almost crying in his arms and Titus is like, who's that? You know? And so I, I tell him, he's like, Oh, that's your, you know, that's your, one of your old coaches, you know? And, um, but I, I think people like you, um, some of the other coaches that I've been fortunate enough to meet and, and obviously coach husbands, um, that you guys are great mentors. You're what coaches should be. Yes, it is about X's and O's. Um, but when somebody is being a person, um, and then you can reach, you know, to others and give them hopes and futures, um, the foundations, you say all the harsh things because they're all the right things, um, in, in changing someone's lives. That, that's the stuff that matters. Um, all right, you're getting me in my feels now. So uh, uh, you go to Oklahoma Christian in 2007, but, and then you transfer to uh, the following year to the University of Southwest. And I know you talked about it, and you, you're not someone that's going to go boast. Um, you average almost 20 points. Uh, you make, uh, is it all at SAC? Is that, mm-hmm. is that the conference you were in? The Red River. Red River. Red River, yeah. I, SAC is what you're in now, correct? Okay. Um, uh, you, you shared a little bit about kind of what led you to transfer. Um, but, but how was playing in Mexico? Because the other part of where I said we could have, um, interacted is like, I was, you know, I I think I told you maybe two years ago when we went to dinner was I was supposed to go with you to the university of Southwest and you never knew it until I told you two years ago because of I had called Coach Zyke was like, 
hey, this college stuff is terrible. I just had the worst year of, of college of my life. Um, because, you know, our our gym's roof had caved in. We played all of our games on the road. Every, you know, the 30-something games we played that season, everything was a road game. Um, we practiced in a middle school. We practiced in a church. We practiced outside on the outside basketball courts with just somebody that had never played basketball in their lives. We brought recruits in one time and we had to take the recruits outside. Now I'm probably sharing horror stories of college and I'm sure again, this is probably in the smallest percentile of it being this bad, but it was just rough. It was ghetto basketball at its finest of, of everything that could go wrong. It went wrong. We, we canceled practices because uh, there might be a certain baseball game that came on and this particular coach wanted to go watch, uh, you know, Josh Beckett on the mound. Um, it was just unreal. Um, so uh, I really was looking to go elsewhere and I really wanted to play because I ended up starting. At, I, I played great. Um, I thought college was pretty easy outside of, I for the first time I wasn't a scorer, but as a point guard, um, I really developed and I really enjoyed just for the first time in my life, getting to be a true point guard of, of setting up plays, being a great, you know, showcasing my defense. That was the thing being a five, eight, Native American in college, everybody goes, there's your weak link right there. Um, and I always took that personal. You know, I felt I got posted about every possession. Um, <laughs> somebody tried to go one-on-one when, you know, it was a one-four flat every time. Take take this guy to the hole. And it's like, yeah, but I'm pretty smart. Like, you're probably faster than me. You know, and I learned angles, a, a lot of different things that really developed. Um, but I, I just kind of wanted to share, share that with uh, – uh, the potential, but then again, college life, being young, uh, kind of crept back in. Um, and, and, and thankfully some good things happened. Uh, not so much from that, but from other decisions I made. Uh, but what was it like playing in New Mexico away from essentially everything you've, you've known here in Oklahoma and that was close? Um, it was definitely new, different, scary. Um, you know, during that time that I was leaving Oklahoma Christian, I, you know, they wanted me to go to Eastern down in Wilburton, um, which I just knew so many of my, so many people that graduate, I graduated with that went there and just did not do very much there whenever they went there. And I knew that that wasn't a place for me. So I remember Quinn Woldridge had just got a head coaching job down at University of Southwest and asked if, you know, he wanted me to go with him. And he wants to kind of fly me uh, to New Mexico to kind of check things out. And, you know, at first I was, you know, let's be honest, you probably get New Mexico confused with Mexico. And then you're just like, uh, you know, you, you don't hear the new part. You just you just wondering where in the heck you're going to end up. So I ended up going to New Mexico and you got to remember, I, I used to play with um, play for Quinn Woldridge. And um, during that time, you know, I was pretty familiar with him. And I, I mean, I talked to Quinn pretty often now. Uh, he's a huge mentor to me and, and been pretty much with me every step of the way. So, you know, I, of course, believed in everything that he was telling me. And uh, and and once again, he's never really steered me the wrong way. So uh, after just knowing that he was going to be there with his family, I, w- I felt comfortable. Uh, he understood my game. He understood kind of what I needed uh, as far as like players around me, as far as the system that I needed. And I went there and really did well. Um, 
and a lot of that is because, you know, we can say whatever you want to about talent and athleticism and smarts, but at the end of the day, I think the thing that, that wins wins it all is the confidence. When you instill confidence in someone, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter what anyone says about you. You're just on top of the world as far as you know, you just feel like you can't be touched by anyone. And I think that's probably what happened when I was at uh, USW. I just had so much confidence and I, that I was, you know, I, I talk about being able to see the game slow. You could see the game slow, but at the same time, we had great players around us, like around me. I had, uh, there was really a lot of great people that was within that program that I thought we just we just really excelled. You know, I'd love to say I was a big reason, you know, that 20 points was just me, but I played alongside so many other great players. You know, I had uh, Cesar Cuevas on my team, who was one of the uh, best point guards I've ever played with. Someone that didn't care about scoring was all about distributing and making it easier for other people. I played alongside a guy named Chris Cooper, who was, this guy was like six seven, six eight, and could shoot the three, could attack, could uh, dunk at the rim. But, you know, someone like that, you know, it makes people, you can't key on, key in on just one person. So we had one point guard, you just, like I said, Caesar, you just passing the ball, he's going to break any press. You got another guy that can score any, at any point of time. There was me that I like to slash and I like to shoot the three. Um, Quinn was really big on, you know, his hashtag is no long twos. Uh, he hates long twos and, you know, when he does the research on it and look at everything, he just believes that it's low percentage and it's not worth it. And I, that's how my game kind of was. I was a, either at the rim or behind the line type of guy myself. So, um, and, and we had some other shooter with Chris Hergerreader, who was one of my roommates. Um, but we had so many different pieces where I could just go out there and just kind of be myself. And there wasn't a lot of expectations for me. It was just, hey, come on out here and try to do the best you can. And and I really excelled under Quinn Wildridge's program. Um, and after that year, right, I had a great year. I mean, felt good, was ready to do the same thing that next year. Uh, Quinn calls me and says, I got some bad news for you. you know, I thought maybe I just didn't get an award or something. But uh, in this case, he was leaving to go take over as uh, be an assistant head coach at Oklahoma City University, uh, which was devastating for us all. I mean, we went there for him and, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to always do what's best for your family. And it was best for him to go back to the Oklahoma area. I had left that league, the Sooner Athletic, the uh, Sooner Conference League. And because of that, I couldn't go back. If I went back, I would lose a year. So I could go back, but I'd have to go back to the same school I was at, at Oklahoma Christian. They have a rule where you have to sit a year and lose a year. So it wasn't worth me losing a year. So I couldn't go back with him. If I could, I probably would have. Uh, so instead, um, there was a new coach coming in. Um, his name was uh, Coach Voigt. I can't think of his first name at this moment. Jamie, not a Jamie Voigt, but uh, it was Coach Voigt uh, who was coming in at the school. And I just, um, I, I just thought that it was probably best for me to try to go elsewhere. And I went to go. I went to McMurray instead to play for Ron Holmes and Matt Garnett. So that's kind of where I was in New Mexico. But like I said, it, it was a little bit scary. But then when you think about it, you start saying, you know what, 
this could be a great opportunity. So you can look at it as you're afraid of the opportunity or you can just approach it and just say, I'm going to take on whatever comes my way. And that's the mentality that I kind of went after. And it kind of worked for me. I mean, I, I thought it was it was great, much different than Oklahoma, much drier. And those Timberweeds that actually goes on the road. I really thought that was only Western movies. It is not. That really happens. <laughs> Does um. Uh... Yeah, I, I got a quick. Does the uh, the for NAIA does the transfer portal is you, you mentioned just kind of how that worked then? Um, does does that apply to you now? Like where you can just your girls can just up and leave the next year? Or yeah, I mean, is there a... if they wanted to leave, I guess they could. But all right, just hear me out here. It's really hard. So every level is a tough level. It doesn't matter if I'm at NCAA or NAI or JUCO. It is really, really tough. I mean, I can go play a JUCO school right now and could potentially lose to freshmen and sophomores. So it's important to understand that. Same thing for Division Ones. Um, so where I'm getting at is if someone becomes on a transfer portal, there's no transfer portal for pretty much, let's say, JUCO and NAI. There's really no transfer portal for those, for that level, I guess you could say. But for Division One, Division Two, even Division Three, so for the NCAA, there is a transfer portal. But let's say you're in my position, right? We're we're coaching here at an NEI university. And uh someone comes available that's NEI. Yeah, I'm not really interested in that. Why? Well, you're already in my level. I don't really want someone in my level unless you have numbers that really back you up that says like, Hey, this, this is a really great player. Or I can get someone at the division one level or even division two level, depending on what level where their numbers may not be as good, but then you're also looking at who all they played, what league that they're in. And I may be more willing to go and get that compared to someone. If I saw on a transfer portal for NAI. Now, I don't say that in a way that, you know, well, NEI talent's not very good. No, that's not necessarily true because one of my players that played for me is actually playing Division One at UMass Lowell. She came from, she played for me for really three years and ended up going there to play. So that's NEI player that went Division One. So, but that's, that stuff happens all the time. In fact, there's another NEI player, her name is Stephanie Sores, that played down in Iowa uh, recently just got da- uh, drafted to so Dallas Wings. Um, but where I'm getting at is you can find talented players, but I'm more willing to go to the transfer portal, look at, you know, higher level players. But you also have to understand, too, that sometimes, sometimes a player can go and become a manager at a Division One, And for whatever reason, a lot of players got hurt. They started suiting up to help that team just for number purposes. And then that person becomes in a transfer portal. The question is, is that someone that you want part of your team? A lot of people don't understand that or don't look at all that. So you really have to look at where people are coming from. And although they're on the transfer portal, were they really on, let's say, the varsity team? Or were they someone that they just kind of picked up to just help with the numbers because maybe a coach got hired late? Uh, Maybe there's a lot of injuries. You know, these are all different things that you have to kind of factor in. So although there is a trend, there is like a a list that you can look at. You got to be very cautious looking at that thing and make sure that you understand what you're trying to find. Oh, that's that's great. Um, 
kind of kind of wrapping up this college since we're, we're kind of getting to your your coaching career as it is uh you finish your your playing career at McMurray in Texas um you graduate um before you go and get your your masters at Sol Ross State mm-hmm. yep I did my homework a little bit um but do you have just because you had talked earlier about college being hard work once you get into college um for those that don't understand like how good the talent pool gets at whatever level you're at, whether you're at JUCO, you're division two, you're division one, NAIA, doesn't matter. The, the talent pool just jumps up tremendously and, um, the speed, everybody's faster. Everybody else can shoot. Everybody else are good passers. They're good defenders. Um, and that's probably one thing I, I think was hard to transition. I go, crap, there's 14 guys on the other team that can guard me. Um, I'm, I'm not used to a 6'4 guard being able to move, or really probably a 6'4 power forward being able to move uh, the way that, that they do. Um, do you have a greatest game in college or, or moment or even a funny moment. Cause I have, I have a ton and for time's sake, I won't dive into any of mine, but do you have, uh, over the course of your career, like maybe a greatest college game? Um, and I'm sure you've had many, but. Any of that go through? Yeah, just a the... great college game. Y- yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought I was muted. Sorry. That I, that I ever played or been a part of or? Hmm. As a coach or as a player? Uh, as a player. As a player. Uh... Yeah. You know, I don't know if I'd call this the greatest college game, but there is one game that I played in college that I will just absolutely never forget. And this is when I was at USW. Uh, we were playing Lubbock Christian, which Lubbock Christian's always top of the line with everything. Uh, we're at USW. Obviously, we did not have nowhere near the resources as Lubbock Christian. Uh, you know, uh you know, that's something else that a lot of people don't really understand too. resources. You know, some schools have 10 full rides and then others have equivalent to four. So, uh, you know, sometimes people are like, well, how come this school doesn't win? Well, they have nowhere near what this other school has. Um, but a lot of that stuff factors into how good a team can really be. But going back to my story here, I remember playing against Lubbock Christian. And I'll never forget this uh, game only because I was the reason why we lost. I, I know this sounds terrible. Um, so we're, we're having a game. We're, we're playing Lovey Christian and, and we are straight just just hooping in that game. Like we're playing. We're all playing our best game. Every shot that we're shooting is just going in. Uh, you know, we're feeling really good. It is a tie game. And I kid you not, there there is like five seconds on the clock in the fourth. And or well, I say in the fourth. Now let's see in the second half. How about that? Because it's they didn't do quarters during there during during that time. 
And I remember there were seconds on the clock. I believe that there was like 10 seconds when we were just in the half court setting that they were trying to set up a play. We had called a timeout. We had just got back on there. We we're just saying like, all right, just stay in front of your person. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. And we had it all figured out. And uh, we're winning by, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're winning by one, right? And it's their ball. So they have it. They're moving the ball around. Someone takes a shot, right? As they take the shot, I run and I grab it. So typically when you grab, a, let's say, a rebound, your toes should be facing towards the baseline. Um, but because this person airballed, when I went to go grab it, my toes are facing towards like the, the let's say the free throw line, just so put help the listeners understand where I'm at, towards the free throw line. So what that ended up doing was uh, I remember Caesar Cuevas. I'll never forget this. He he sprinted out um, for me to really just throw him the ball. But during that time, as soon as I had grabbed the rebound, the ball is now in front. See, if I was facing towards the the baseline, I could pit like you know I could pivot over, or my back is going to be towards the net, that defender. So now all they can really do is foul me. But because of how I grabbed the rebound, I'm now in front. So I'm trying to move the ball, whether it's a foul or not. They're not going to call stuff in that situation. They end up tying the ball or getting a hold of the ball. Um, they'll never forget it. And he rips it through. So he rips it out of my hand. Once again, fouls doesn't matter during this time. Turns around, immediately shoots the ball because I'm right by the goal. Makes it. Oh. Buzzer goes off as soon as it goes into the net. Game over. I will never, ever forget that game. Um, and it's all because of, well, first off, this guy just, why, why'd you have to airball it? That's number one. <laughs> and then number two, you know, I, I wish that I would have hurried up and got it and thrown it to Caesar, who was already heading down court. And I did not. And I'll never forget that game because it's a game that, number one, we we're already supposed to lose. And then number two, the fact that we pretty much had it won and, you know, I go back because I'm like, man, I, I lost that game. I, I'm the reason why we lost that game. And I don't understand, like, as a coach now, it's like, no, there's several factors of why we lost. No, it was – that was me. Yeah. I, I should not have – it should have still have been in my hand. So, yeah, that that's a tough one that I will just absolutely never forget. Never. Just un- unfortunate, funny stories. Uh, and I'll share this real quick. I don't – when I was talking to Coach Cravens the other night, um, I told him, I said, you know, the, my very, my very first college game started a lot like my high school career did. I said, I got suspended my very first game the, the night before we were to leave. Uh, we were playing in a, like a two game classic and we had never done room checks and it was the first night they opted to do room checks. And I had just started, uh, drinking uh ices again we'll, we'll call them ices but uh no so i had an older older friend so he he was able to purchase this and and we left thinking oh we got 10 minutes to make it back and for whatever reason we decided to pull over on the side of the road before we get back to our rooms and and have a few beverages um and when they walked and i had never once got in trouble yet i, I don't think i'd really broken any rules uh, up to this point and I'm the first room as soon as you walk up the stairs because all the all the, the guys were on the same you know we we're all on the second floor and of course they go check my room 
and I'd stuck a basketball inside, you know, you know, tried to put my pillows and a basketball for my head. You know, you do the whole, whole get up. And when they realized that I wasn't in there, they, they go right down to his room. He had done the same thing. We hadn't talked about it. We just instinctively tried to make it look like we were in bed. So I get suspended that first, first game. We go to the classic. And, uh, I, I said like during the girls game, uh, they, they lose. So I'm sitting on the end of the bench or whatever during the guys game. And I'm like, Hey, we all talking to the girls. I'm like, Hey, we all like get me some food. So they bring me like, you know, cheeseburgers, some French fries. So I'm on the bench eating McDonald's while our, our guys are out there playing. And, and again, that's just kind of where I was at. Um, at the end of the game, obviously coach wasn't happy about me eating McDonald's on the bench <laughs> thinking I, I hit it. He just didn't call me out in front of everyone. Uh, my mom had drove like two hours to this classic, not knowing I was suspended. Um, and she went to, you know, every game of my entire life. And, and so she shows up and she's like, I am so sorry that you got suspended for this game. Like, because we had actually been like late for, uh, we, we practiced on Sunday. So when we would come back, she would drop me off. Um, and I was like, I was like, well, I got suspended because I was late. And I said, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, it's fine. It happens. Like, I'm just grateful, you know, you brought me and I'm, and she's like, no, I'm so sorry. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously pushing the blame. <laughs> Coach Kelly walks up and the first thing out of my mom's mouth, she's like, I am so sorry for making Trevin late the other day. And he told me that's why he got suspended for the game. Meanwhile, I'm in her arms and I'm just, he looks at me. He's like, is that what you told your mother? He's like, I didn't suspend him because, you know, he was late for practice. He's like, I suspended him because he wasn't in his room when I came to check it. And oh, just the just the amount of, like, sadness I got. felt like missing the state tournament all over again. Um, again, unfortunate uh, thing. It's funny now. <laughs> Obviously not so, so funny in the moment. Um, running through... Uh, because I I do want to be cautious of of your time. Are are you still good? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Um, so you start Cooper High School as an assistant. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Uh, then you become a an assistant at Sol Ross State. Your uh, where you graduated with your masters. Um, then you go to Southwestern Christian. Um, one of the things I I seen noted was when you were helping with the men's team, you helped coach a Harlem Globetrotter. Is that? Uh, Tyler and men. Tyler and how, like, so the question I have on that, like, did, in practice, again, did he ever just do anything just wild that just maybe made you laugh or it was just kind of maybe even a trademark then playing? Um, you know, we always called him, he had a magic left leg is what we always said. Like, and, and people are different. They don't understand that. You know, like dunking wise, people are really good off two feet or some people are really good off one. He was really good at jumping off his left foot where he could just really rise up and can dunk anything. And, um, and it, it was incredible, but yeah, you know, I, I remember him, he was in the, he had participated in NAI dunk contest and then from there got drafted into the Harlem Globetrotters where he participated and with all the different dunks and stuff with that. 
And I'll never forget that I had helped him with one of his dunks. I was telling him like, hey, listen, have you ever tried to go behind your back and tried to try to dunk it? You know, just gave him a different type of dunk, which was a dunk that he actually used in any dunk contest, which actually helped him win. I like to say that I was a part of that. He, he was part, <laughs> yeah, you, you you were on your way too. you were you were, you know, you were just coaching. So, yeah, that, <laughs> that that's awesome. When I seen that, I was like, man, I'm going to. I'm definitely going to have to highlight that and, and bring that up. Um, so then you get to, um, and, and you did, and, and you helped your women's team there as well, make the, the national tournament. Is that, that right? So, um, so I was a GA at Sol Ross and then I went to Southwestern Christian where I was, um, assistant coach for two years under Quinn Woldridge. I know we just, you, you know, your circle's really small. I'll tell you what, he'll always be in my circle. That's for sure. Um, for Quinn Woldridge. And then after that year, after those two years, I ended up taking over as the head women's basketball coach at science or, uh, or excuse me, at Southwestern Christian. And I was there for one year as a head coach and I had a great year. We made the NCCAA national tournament where we finished fourth place. And I'll never forget that because we only had, literally six players that we went out there and I'll never forget how they called out all the teams. And I had some players that end up, you know, quitting and uh, towards the very end, there was some hostility between some players and they just decided that they didn't want to play anymore. And I had also thought it was best that they didn't come with us. And that was like one of the best decisions I could have ever made because, you know, I had a group of girls that just absolutely cared nothing about anything else that was going on and only wanted to just do what was best for each other. And we had won the first game. Then we lose the second game. I'm talking about like a thriller uh, where like, we're just kind of, kind of going back and forth to other teams playing uh, what's called the Grinnell system. Basically it's layups and threes and it's just fast. They're going to press you. They're going to do layup threes and it's going to be all game long. And it was really neat to, to be a part of that. Um, but we ended up getting a fourth place finish there. And then after that, I ended up getting uh, Jennifer Hayden, who I worked for at Soros, uh, was getting, I don't want to say getting out of coaching, but her husband had just got a job, a baseball job elsewhere at junior college at Vernon. Uh, at Vernon. Um, and then what ended up happening was this job was coming open. She told me about it. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I had to go through all the interview process to be able to get it. I was able to win everyone over and Briscoe McPherson gave me a great, uh, opportunity to lead this program here where I've been here for eight, eight years. Yeah. Being here eight years, your, your resume is, is growing. Um, again, going back to how I shared about you being so humble, one of the things, uh, you said a couple of weeks ago was, you know, you don't, you don't, and I'm not going to, but you don't put your record on things. You don't put your record on your numbers because that's not, that's not who you are. And, um, again, I just kind of want to give you your flowers on that or how respectable that is. But I mean, you've been a SAC season champion in, in 2018. You were the coach of the year. Um, man, what, what an honor to receive any type of coaching accolade, uh, because those, are probably the rarest accolade you can get um, in, in tough. And that, and I, I get you credit your team um, because it is a team effort, but I mean, you're, you're the man drawing the plays. You're, you're the one that's got to make the game changes, the pressure uh, people don't realize the pressure of coaching. I mean, 
coaching kids is can be bad enough with with pressure of what parents think what you know but when it's your job and and wins do typically matter on the collegiate level so um it, it is a lot of pressure but to see you do it year after year um you know ever since i found you were coaching at usao um you know i, I try to follow as, as much as i can via social media you know, I'm looking at schedules. There are a few times, you know, I think I had texted you just about your games because um, I, I want to see you um, succeed. And I, I know you will. But now, have you been to, to four national tournaments at USAO? Or yes, I've been to four, four. Four. That was including this year, correct? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you've had a player of the year, four defensive players of the year. And I, I think that stood out to me because, again, um, that's a rare achievement that always gets overlooked and is never highlighted. But to me that to have one, but to have four in, in eight years, that's amazing. That again, to me, that goes back to uh, what you emphasize, what your players are buying into. Um, And so therefore the success is showing you've also had um, multiple all tournament teams, all SAC, but then nine All Americans. Um, again, going back to the success that you're having, um, that your teams are having, is incredible because not everybody gets to come to or help build successful programs. Um, now that I'm getting to know quite a few college coaches, uh, pretty close. Again, I look at you. I look at your program. I look at the overall. Qu- quality of of the product that you provide and man it's 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 awesome to see um and you coach with your wife correct yeah um how is how is that could you talk about the about being at a successful program and what that's like and coaching with your wife yeah so you know I, i joke with my wife all the time and i tell her you know what we could just really just delete my name off my resume and just put your name and we're pretty much, it would be completely fine. And you know, what's crazy about that? It's no lie. My wife gets job offers um, while she's still coaching with me. I'm just like, whoa, 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 you're not going there. But, um, and it's crazy to think about, but you know, a lot of people, um, you know, to be a part of a successful program, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Is it hard? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into that, but I'm not going to sit here and say like, man, I get the best players or man, I, I go out and get this, these X amount of division one players and blah, blah, blah. I can't say all that. What I go out and do is go find people that I'm interested in and people that number one wants to be here. That is the number one thing. Cause when you get a group of players that want to be here, man, you'll be able to get the most out of them. And I've been very blessed to be with and work with a lot of great players that were not just great on the court, but great off the court. And that's what's really important to me. I tell players all the time, and when I'm speaking at different um, events, I recruit people based off their personality as well. Why? I'm with you guys for six months. If I don't like you off the court, I don't think we're going to be great with each other. Can you just imagine me on a five, six, seven, eight hour bus ride and sitting next to like one of your players you can't stand? 
yeah, that's not going to work for me. So uh, I like to joke around a lot. I'm very transparent with my players and they understand kind of who I am and what I'm about. And when you get players that understand that, man, I'll run through a brick wall for you. But at the same time, I'll run through a brick wall for them. And I think that's what's important is they know that whatever they exert, there's not one time they can ever look at me and be like, well, you've never done that. They can't ever do that. So because of that, I think that's why they're willing to try to give more. But I mean, it is tough. And working with my wife, you know, most people are always like, man, I can never work with my spouse or I can never. And I'm just like, mine is great. Do you realize that we both are winners, winners? And what I mean by that is when I'm not doing something, I'm like, no, nah, I don't really feel like it. Guess who is doing something? She is. She cares about it just as much, if not more than I do, or vice versa. Like the thing is, you have to have people that care about the program. There's a lot of people that want to be assistant coaches and they want to help out. But the thing is, you know, it's hard for me to give you a key to my program without knowing how invested you are in it. That's the biggest thing. So if you come in and you show that you're pretty invested, oh, guess what? I'll make sure that you have a pretty big role within my program. But more importantly, when you've done your job for me and I now understand like, hey, listen, you're too good for me. You need to move on to get you know better pay, better opportunity. I will help get them wherever else that they need to be. In fact, it's not uncommon for my for coaches that's been under me to go off like my last coach that left went off, uh, went to go play for Division One or excuse me, went to go coach for Division One. But um, where I'm getting at is they all go somewhere that's better and I want them all to succeed. And that's I think that's another thing that's important. Like there's not one of my players that I don't want to succeed. And that's both on and off the court. And I make sure that I see them through whether you played for me a year ago, four years ago, even eight years ago. I still talk to each and every one of those players. I still attend all the different things I need to attend for them. I still write reference letters for them, call people on their behalf. I do all this stuff for my players. My wife do the same thing, but it's th- that's kind of what it's all about for our program and how we do things. What What's the difference uh, in coaching women versus coaching men? I mean, the biggest thing is the ego. I mean, for some guys, you know, their their egos are so big that sometimes they don't want to listen to kind of what you have to say and they know it all. Now, you can get the same thing on the women's side too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the biggest difference, to be honest, is on the guy side, you know, they're playing above the rim, whereas on the women's side, they're playing below the rim. But aside from that, you know, whenever I go out and recruit guys, man, I can grab, I can go get a guy from Hawaii tomorrow and offer them $1,000 and they're all for it. On the women's side, they're a little bit more smarter with their decision makings. So it's like, well, wait a minute. What does the dorms look like? All right. Well, what does this look like? What does that look like? Can I see what, this? What's the education look like? They look at everything. So it's a little bit different. But you know that when they do come, they're here to come. It's not uncommon for on the one side, someone say, you know what? I don't want to play anymore. Said, I just want to owe you and be a part of a sorority. So, but where I'm getting at is the ones that I do get, once again, they want to be a part of basketball. They want to do basketball. And that's, and that's kind of what you want, but you can get guys any day of the week on the women's side of things. And they, 
think things through a lot more. Oh, one of the last questions on as far as college, what what's something that was surprising to you maybe when you started coaching women's basketball? Does anything just kind of stand out? On the women's side, you know, well, I will say that when you get your first opportunities, like you're a little bit like just scared and you're like, all right, was this going to work? Is this going to work? Is it, will this work? Because it's so overwhelming. It's like everything else in life. You cannot be fully prepared for anything, for anything. There's just no way. You have to be able to experience it. So I guess, you know, the biggest thing for me was just understanding that, hey, listen, although there's so many different ways to skin a cat, what's my preferred method of skinning that cat? And once I figured out, and I think this is the big thing for not just basketball, just but in life in general, who cares what the person to my left and my right is doing? Like, focus on yourself and trying to be the best person that you can be. Because when I started focusing on, okay, this is what I want to do because this is my belief on this, I realized that, hey, it it worked. Not only did it work, man, some people in the league is now doing some of the things that we are that we started doing. So you start looking at that and I can do things my way and it still be right. And people want me to come out and speak on why I do this, why I do that. And they want to listen to what the words that come out of my, my mouth. It's like, wow. So I think it's really important that, you know, you learn a lot of different things. You're, you're a part of all these different programs and teams to pick up different ideas that you believe would be best for you. There's some things that you should keep and there's some things that you should say, that was great then, but not now. Um, but kind of understanding things to keep that's going to be best for you. Don't try to be anyone else. So that's something that I'm about. Like I do what's best for me and my program. And when I do that, I notice that that's when everything started working out as far as the winning part of things. I don't want to be like everyone else and I'm not going to be like anyone else. In fact, one of the uh, mnemonic uh, acronyms that we use is be diff. And I want all my players to be themselves and embrace their uniqueness, however it is and be okay with it. Y'all have that on a, on the back of a shirt already. Be diff. I like that. Uh, That's good. We, it's, so we use be diff, which is like our core values of best effort, determined initiative, flexible, and fortitude. Uh, those are different things that we live by with our program and that we that we stress every single day. Because I feel like it's not just for basketball, it's for when you get out in life as well. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, coming into the last stand questions, the, the first one is a two-part question. Um, if you could tell high school kids one thing to help make the next level, what would it be? The second part of that question is one thing not to do. Um, in order to get to that next level, I mean, the, the, the biggest message I could say or advice is keep putting yourself out there. You need people to know of your name. If you think that you're just going to play a college ball, like a high school ball, and by just that alone, your name's going to come across my desk, it's really hard. And the reason is, 
I can't go out and rec- I can't go out and recruit all the time during the season. Your season is the same as my season. So unless we're in the same building and I'm going to see you, that's the only way I'm going to have your name or your coach reaches out to me. But get yourself out there. AU is great. Uh, yes, I know there's a lot of bad things and good things happening with AU. But the thing is, during the summers, when I go out to those events to be able to see you, once I have your name, then I can kind of work with you of trying to attend to a high school game. But it's really hard. Uh, one of the things not to do, um, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing I would probably say is um, be really cautious on what you put on your social media, um, not only for now. But for later, I think that, you know, you could put stuff on there that maybe will keep college coaches away. But I don't look at it as, you know, that's the small picture of things. But later on in life, trust me, you don't want your kids to research something and go back and find something on you that's going to stay with them forever. So watch what you put on there just because, you know, we all have done some things in life that we're probably proud of and not proud of. So because of that, you know, like you have a bunch of stories that you've shared that I'm sure you don't want to go back and just see pictures of and see stories written on it. Um, But where I'm getting at is I think you should really be cautious on what you put on your social media and make sure that it is showing, you know, how you are and what you're all about. Um, And then not everything needs to be on social media. (laughs) Yeah. And and for those who aren't, you know, I'm I'm grateful that we didn't have the same social media platform because I was a big recorder <laughs> of everything. Um, you know, I, I wanted to get the laughs. I would have been wanting to get the likes on posts, the, the comments, even if it was controversy, like I probably would have been drawn to that for, for laughs again, for entertainment purposes. Um, it, it just made me think as far as on this podcast for, for those who are probably going to listen to it. Um, honestly, when they, when they see your name and, and who's in it and it's basketball related versus recovery related, um, that I, I think of just what you said, like now I'm in a position where, yeah, I haven't ever put anything on my social media, but now in the last three and a half years, um, even with the successes that I've been fortunate to have in, in life and in careers, it's like, now I'm putting, I'm, I'm doing it backwards and now I'm putting everything out there. Now, given it's, it's, it's a different reason and it's a platform that I felt led to doesn't mean it's not going to still come without, with, without some controversy. And I mean, I think the podcast is already kind of n- nothing crazily, but you know, there, you know, we had to, uh, shared, we had to take the second episode down just for more of a, somebody else's uh, protection purposes and in, in what they were doing in, in career wise. And, and again, it, it, not due to content um, or anything like that, but I a hundred percent agree with what you said on, on social media of, of we're telling our kids, you know, we're, we're trying to keep them away from social media as much as we can, or, hold off until you know they can be be grown with it and i'm thankful our, our kids have done a good job of that um if you could give a college athlete advice what would it be uh i mean you know i the biggest advice that i would have once again we try to compare ourselves to the the best person on the team but you got to understand a lot of time the best person on the team may not actually be the best person on the team. It's who people thought or perceive as the best person on the team. So what I mean by that is I can go out and watch your game and say, well, I really like this kid because of other things that you bring to the table. 
you have to understand when you get to the college level, everyone is good. Everyone can score. I don't look for, yes, I need you to be able to score, but I look at other things that you bring to the table. For instance, if someone's really good defensively, I I promise you I'm going to look into them. Why? Well, I have four defensive players of the year for a reason. I look at people that, because those people that can get stops are also the people that get stops, but easy scores on the other end of the court. So by going out and being proud of your game, whatever that is, right, you're in a, you you lead your conference in assists or you're the best passer on your team. Those are the things that get my, gets my attention. So the more that you can just stress your own game and be comfortable with it, I promise you, you'll get picked up a lot more doing that than going out scoring 50 a game. That's great and all, but my next question for someone that scores 50 a game is, okay, well, what were their percentages? How many shots did they take? Now, if those numbers are pretty good, then my next question is, okay, well, how many of those were layups compared to jump shots compared to threes? I will break all that stuff down, but you have a split moment to be able to get someone's attention. So and when you go out trying to do something uncharacteristic, you're going to get uncharacteristic results. When you go out there and just try to be yourself, that's what ends up standing out to people because you look most comfortable doing it. Be yourself. Do your, do you however that is, but be okay with it. And I think if they just do that, I promise you, more and more people, like you'll realize how many offers you're going to be able to get. But a lot of times, once again, the best players who we perceive as the best player because they have this ranking, which is great. But as we see in the NBA and even WNBA, you know, a lot of times these numbers don't match up once they get to that professional level. So I wouldn't look at any of that stuff. I would just focus on me and being the best player that I can be. What do you, what do you feel is the best advice you've received over your career, whether that be coaching or playing? Um, as far as the best advice, you know, I don't know. You know, the, the best advice I can think about is when um, when I was just told to, hey, don't worry about what other people are doing and just focus on what's best for you. Uh, you know, and, and I say that and it may seem a little cliche, but the it's the truth, you know, because a lot of times we want to be, well, how do I start winning? And you start thinking about what the previous coach did. Or you're thinking, you're looking on the men's side and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I do what this coach is doing? When you do that, you start, you're, you're allowing too many distractions to come in and you can't stay focused on everything. So being able to focus on the task at hand comes with focusing on yourself and not realizing a lot of things that we, we think is problematic really isn't problematic. Our brains made it problematic. For instance, I can go and scout a team and think, man, they run this play. I'm not sure what to do to guard it. I don't know what I work on it with my team and they're messing it up and they're butchering it. And I'm just like, man, I don't know what to do. See, let's be honest. They're going to run that one quick hitter, maybe, maybe three times in that game. And I ran it against my team probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, and I made it problematic to myself and my team. But where I'm getting at is 
had I just focused on this is how we expect to guard it, if we just stop it one time and keep that part to myself, then I know that they're not going to run it again. We're going to be the best that we can be. Why? Because I'm not bringing in any other distractions. I'm just breaking, bringing, I'm just focusing on the things we need to focus on. So once again, just going back is the best advice is be yourself, however that is, embrace your, your uniqueness. I love that answer. And I, I love the example you just gave because, you know, that just makes me think on the bigger picture of life. And I go, yeah, how many times did I do that in life where the same play runs through my head and now it's 40 times where I've ran in my brain's, you know, my brain's team and in life it's one or two times that something like that actually happens. Um, coming to the last two questions, uh, when you when you look at the whole scope of your playing slash coaching career, what are you most proud of? Um, you know, basketball was my outlet whenever I was growing up. It was the thing that kind of took my mind off of everything that was kind of going on or maybe I was going through. And I guess what I'm most proud of is being able to see players that I that cared about basketball just as much as I I do go off in the real world and be successful and still be able to utilize everything that we taught them within our program. And that's so just, it means a lot to me because you had mentioned it earlier of how big of a mentor that these, that coaches can be. And when I look at that, I really want to make a difference in my players' lives. And even not, it may not even be my players, maybe players on other teams that still look at what we're doing. But, I want to make a difference. I, I want to, I want them to be able to make an impact in other people's lives. And um, it's just great. And just, you know, to see a player come in and be able to give them all the tools that they need to be successful on and off the court, but more importantly in life, man, it's so satisfying. It just are, uh, it's, it's so great just to be able to, see them just do great things, whether that's owning a daycare or whether that's being assistant coach of the year, which one of my players was named in high school just recently, or whether that is becoming a a, a doctor, which I have several that's becoming a doctor. But it's so just great seeing them do great things in this world for themselves, but more importantly, how they were still able to uh, put others' needs in front of theirs. Because it's that's probably what I'm most proud of seeing my players go out and do great things. Well, on that again, they have a great example of somebody successful and somebody doing and living what, what, uh, what you're preaching. Um, and that's awesome. I'll, I'll add that on my next introduction, Derek Matthews, you know, razor of doctors, razor of, you know, some successes, but, but I mean that, 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 that's freaking awesome. And, and I love, Again, I can see your face. No one else can uh, in this. And just to see that same passion I talked about on the introductions that I, I get to see just you being when you speak about others, when you speak about your former players. Again, that's what it's all about. That's that's the big picture we we paint. Um, so coming on to this last question, I guess if you could hear any guest on the Recovering Coops Attic podcast, who would it be? But 
before you answer, you have to help me get that guest on the show. Okay. Um, you have you you haven't had a high school coach yet, right? I have not. I say we bring Christopher Zyke. I am a hundred percent in on that. We I, we I, we should team up and get him on here for sure. And he'll and he'll do it. I mean, you got to understand, this guy went back and won a championship for his high school team. Was an underdog. Was not supposed to win. End up winning it. And the impact that he has had in so many people's lives, mine, yours, and so many other players, he's someone that you you have to you have to get him on the show. I'll uh, I'll, I'll text him today. I'll, I'll put this out, and then I'll be like, "Hey, listen to this." And um, and and just what you said, the again for the people that don't know, Chris Zyke took took Tushka as an unranked team unranked to the state tournament not only to the state tournament won the state tournament as an unranked never happened in the history of of the state of Oklahoma basketball in any division or any class that's that that is amazing because that does not I mean clearly it doesn't just happen but that's just unheard of it's it's crazy um uh do you have anything you want to add well, um, aside from, yes, I, I think most definitely we should get Chris Dyke a part of it. But, um, I mean, I'd like to say thanks for having me on the show. I mean, I, I greatly appreciate you, um, you know, getting in contact with me and thinking of me whenever you're kind of putting things together. I mean, you sent me this long message of, hey, I'm doing this, this and this. Love you to be a part of it. And, you know, I guess it says a lot about you know, about you and what you're trying to do as well. I mean, this is going to be very beneficial for a lot of different people, a lot of different audiences. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I mean, you've been uh, a supporter before. I mean, really when it was obviously still in my brain um, last year, a little over a year ago, uh, I think when I'd mentioned to you about them, when we first really essentially reconnected after a decade, um and that, I that's right yeah it, it it meant a lot to me then um obviously you're you're somebody i've i've held on to like hey one of my first guests I have to be Derek because he was one of the, not only were you one of the first people that said you would do it you were one of the first people that supported and be like man i think it's a great idea and again it's uh the the numbers have been great and i i've only checked because when i was messing with um, the data, the, the goal, I, I had set small goals. And again, it surpassed where I thought I would be in a year um, again. And I hope that this podcast continues to reach and, and informs like this to me was such an informal podcast, even to me, but especially as a basketball fan of, of just the college life, the process of a coach, what a coach wants to see. So again, Derek, thank you so much for coming coming on and, and sharing. And again, you're welcome anytime. If you got any stories, anything you ever want to do, you just let me know. And, and I got a spot and got a time for you. And we went way over the time. Um, again, like I, I, I was free for whatever time and, and you were someone I knew I could just sit here and I, I could talk basketball all day with. And it's, it's a little bit harder going on a script on, on my end, but I'm thankful for all the information you gave. Um, 
And with that, and I'll say a formal goodbye when we, uh, when I hit stop in just a second. But with that, uh, that's episode three with Derek Matthews, and that's a wrap.